The Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. Welcome to the Way City Church and thank you all for being with us this morning and worshiping the Lord with us in this place this morning. So we have been in a series, or I should say a, a series within a series. Right, so we, we started speaking about prayer and spiritual warfare, and then we found ourselves in Ephesians chapter 6 as we was on this journey, and then it just didn't feel right for us to move on from Ephesians chapter 6, so we paused here for a while um, as the Lord led us to focus on the different individual pieces of the armor of God. So that's where we are this morning. We're picking up within our series, within a series, speaking about the armor of God. Amen? The armor of God. So we've covered so far two pieces of the armor, and today we will cover the third piece of the armor within our series. I want us to dive right in this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 speaks about the whole armor of God. Someone say, the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. Ephesians 6, starting from verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Father, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O God. And I also pray, Lord, that the hearts that hear this message this morning 
I pray those hearts would be softened. I pray that the ears in this room would be inclined to hear what your spirit is saying to them, the church. We thank you for your word in Ephesians chapter 6. We thank you for this journey that we're on. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, and we worship you through the hearing and the application of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're speaking about the armor of God. The definition of armor is any covering worn as a defense against weapons. Any covering worn as a defense against weapons is armor. Another definition is the metal coverings formerly worn by soldiers or warriors to protect the body in battle. Armor is designed for physical battle. That's the purpose by which it was made, for physical battle. In 1 Samuel 17 and verse 34, we see Saul when David is about to go into battle and he places his armor upon Saul before, before Saul places his armor upon David before David goes into battle against Goliath. But we see Saul placing his armor upon the, the boy David, preparing him for battle. In Jeremiah 46, 3 and 4, the people of God, they're getting ready to go to war against this king called Pharaoh Necho, who was the king of Egypt during the time. And God gives the people this call through Jeremiah, and he says this, Order the buckler and shield and draw near to battle. Harness the horses and mount up the horsemen. Stand forth with your helmets. Polish the spears and put on the armor. Every true soldier needs armor. Every true soldier needs armor armor. And if they are wise, they will never engage in battle without it. Every true soldier needs armor. In Romans 13, 12, we see that spiritual armor is the light and the life that we are to live in. It says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Armor is more than just important for a soldier. It's a matter between life and death. I said armor for a soldier is not just something that's important. It's more than important. It's a matter of life or death. Some of you may know that I recently started riding a motorcycle. And in the motorcycle world, everyone knows this acronym. That's, that's going to be... Everyone knows the acronym right there in the motorcycle world. Anyone here know what that means? Apart from Sean? <laughs> anyone know? No? So it means all the gear, all the time. All the gear, all the time, at gap. 
They call it at-get. Everyone knows that, at-get. All the gear, all the time. You all know how, how dangerous motorcycle riding can be. So then in order for me to ride my motorcycle, I have to have on all the correct gear all the time. Why? Because it's wise. I, I don't have to, but it's wise and I would be a fool not to. So the motorcycle gear includes this, and this is what I put on every time before I jump on the motorcycle, a helmet. A helmet, very important. A good jacket, right, that usually has shoulder pads, elbow pads, a back pad to help to protect the spine, and sometimes even padding for the forearm. A good jacket also has, um, sometimes it could be a, uh, a textile that's well knitted together or leather. And basically that helps to protect you if you go sliding down the highway, right? Helps to protect you from road rash. And leather's usually pretty hard. So it protects, protects your skin in the case of a slide. We have motorcycle gloves that we wear. Motorcycle gloves has protective knuckle guards to protect your knuckles. And some gloves also have wrist guards as well to protect the wrists. We also have motorcycle pants. The motorcycle pants has padding on the knees, um, sometimes on the shins as well. Has padding on the thighs. Sean's kind of... <laughs> kind of touching the different parts just by habit. Um, the thighs, sometimes the tailbone as well, and hips. Right, Sean? There we go. So far, so good? <laughs> so, and then the last piece of the armor is usually the, the boots, right? So you need some good boots, some good shoes. Has a good grip, also a strong material to protect your feet, and also it gives you ankle protection. Anything that I missed? Sean? We good? No, I'm good. Excellent. All right, so that's the motorcycle gear. Now, I, I never ride my motorcycle without the armor. Never. Everything that I just mentioned to you, I wear every single time that I jump on that motorcycle because wearing the armor could literally be the difference between life and death. Literally. That's how important the armor is when riding a motorcycle. And as a rider, I'm, I'm fully aware of the dangers. So for that reason, I'm fully prepared for the ride. I'm fully aware of the dangers, so I'm fully prepared for the ride. I know the risks of the road. And so I ride defensively as though I'm invisible and as though no one else can even see me on the road, and I'm always prepared for impact, just in case. Now, I don't know about Sean, but when I see motorcyclists that don't have on all the gear, and sometimes they may just have on a, a helmet, and in states like California, you don't even need a helmet. No, California or Florida. 
Florida? I think it's Florida. Anyway, some states, you don't even need a helmet. That's crazy. But when I see folks that don't have on all the gear and sometimes just a helmet, I think three things. Yeah, unwise, foolish, and overconfident. That's what I think of. And the Bible speaks to us and tells us to take heed. He who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall, in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Now again, I know this is dangerous, but... You need to be more concerned, I believe, about your spiritual safety than you are for my physical safety. You need to be more concerned for your spiritual safety than you are for my physical safety. At Gat, you must have on all the gear all the time that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and that you would be ready to withstand in the evil day. We're speaking about the whole armor of God. Ephesians 6, 14 through 17 contains the gear that God has called us to wear as believers. You can ignore this gear and be self-confident if you wish, but you will guaranteed, you will pay the price. And you'll pay the price now and later. We as Christians are at war against sin and evil. We are at war. And every Christian is called to be a soldier in God's army. Every Christian. Any man or woman who goes to war, they understand the value of the right armor. And so God himself in Ephesians 6 provides for those who serve in his army, he provides the correct protective gear. We're called to take up and to utilize the whole armor of God. Amen? So, at Gat for us consists of the garment of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation the sword of the Spirit, and prayer. And today we speak about the third piece of the armor found in Ephesians 6 and verse 15. The shoes, as some may say, the shoes. And having shod your feet, Ephesians six fifteen, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's our verse today. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we're talking here about feet and the gospel of peace. This is a very interesting verse. Nobody speaks of the gospel in the New Testament more than the Apostle Paul. Nobody speaks of the gospel in the New Testament, more than the Apostle Paul, and nobody speaks of peace in the New Testament, more than the Apostle Paul. 
And Ephesians 6 and verse 15 right here is the only place in the New Testament where we see the gospel and peace joined together at the same time. So for that reason, it reminds me of an Old Testament verse where I see the gospel and peace also joined together at the same time. And interestingly, we also see feet in that verse as well. Anyone can guess what that verse is? Excellent. Isaiah 52.7. How beautiful. Upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, which is the gospel, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The shoes that you need to put on is the gospel characterized by peace. This is the shoes that you are commanded to wear, and we'll break that down in just a bit. And by the way, there is also another New Testament verse where we see um, um, the gospel and we see peace in the same verse, and it's Romans 10 and verse 15, but that is quoting Isaiah 42 and verse 7, 52 and verse 7. So it's, it's, a, it's a quote of the Old Testament verse. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So as we speak today about, about gospel shoes, it's perfect timing for me to reveal to you that this passage is not actually about perhaps what you thought it was about. This passage really isn't about armor. It's about standing. I repeat, this passage really is not about armor as much as it is about standing. And how do I know that? Because the purpose, what is the, the, the purpose of the armor? The purpose of the armor is so that we will stand. Are you with me? If we were not called to stand, then we would have no need for the armor. We need the armor because God is calling us to stand and to stand firm. So then the armor then is nothing more than the provision that God has made for us in order for us to stand. You see, it, it's really not about at gap. It's really not about motorcycle gear. What it's about, it's about riding the motorcycle. And by the way, there's nothing like riding a motorcycle. <laughs> So, so it's really not about Atgat. It's not about the gear. It's about riding the bike. That's what it's about. So it's really, it's not about the armor. It's about standing firm. That's what God has called us to do. So today's message is about standing and the gospel of peace. So if I gave this message a title, it would be standing in your gospel shoes. This 
beautiful passage of scripture in Ephesians chapter 6 is about standing firm. Take a look real quick at verse 11, 13, and 14 in your Bible. So, verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, what? Stand. Against the wiles of the devil, verse 11. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, verse 14, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is about standing. And it is impossible for you to stand firm if you do not have the right material covering your feet. In other words, you need the right shoes to stand firm. In order for you to stand firm, you're going to need more than a belt and a breastplate, but you're going to need some good shoes. The Roman Empire was very successful, not just because of the the size of their armies, their well-planned strategies, the ingenuity of their weapons, but they were extremely successful because they provided adequate footwear for their soldiers. That was a huge part of their success. They invested in good footwear for their soldiers. They were not just prancing around in flip-flops. But they had, they were standing firm in a, in a well-fitted sandal hybrid, sandal boot hybrid called Caligae. That's what the Romans would, would call it. And these sandals, they were made to help protect the soldiers' feet during their long marches into battle, and they had extremely thick soles that wrapped perfectly around their ankles in a way that protected against blistering. Caligae also had spikes in the bottom of the shoes which would help them to stand firm as they traveled and gave them a firm foundation when they stood. They had these spikes coming out of the the bottom. Believers also have a a firm foundation in the gospel. Amen? As believers, we have peace in knowing we are secure in what Jesus has done for us. There is a security in that. The Roman boot provided the perfect combination between mobility and stability. The more they were accustomed to their boots, the more comfortable they became with constant wear. In Ephesians 6 and verse 15, the ESV translation reads this. The ESV translation says, as shoes for your feet. As shoes for your feet. But in the literal reading of the original text, shoes are not directly mentioned. Some of the older translations like the NKJV, 
that I'm reading from today reads more literally and says that you should shod your feet. With the preparation of the gospel of peace, that you should shod your feet. So we don't use terminology today of, of shodding, to put on shoes to go to work. The only time that we really use this terminology of, of shodding today is when it comes to doing what? Who knows? Shodding, we use it today in the sense of putting horseshoes on a horse. We use the term shodding. And we all know that the process of placing shoes on a horse is not like the process of us putting on our shoes to go to work. When, when a horse is, when his feet are shodded, it's almost as though the shoe becomes one with the horse. It becomes a part of the horse. And this is what God is calling us to, to shod our feet with the gospel, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's not something that we put on and take off, but it's something that is one with us, that is attached to us, is a part of us. And it is impossible for you to stand firm without these gospel shoes of peace. So verse 15, again. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The introduction of, of peace here may seem paradoxical since the context of this section is that of warfare. We're speaking about warfare, but now we're introducing peace. So it may seem somewhat paradoxical, but most of the readers were Gentiles, and the gospel through which they became Christians was a gospel which made peace between them and God, and also between them and the Jewish people, the Jewish believers, hence the appropriateness of the reference. So then, pay attention, it was the believer's it was their knowledge of and belief in this gospel of peace that would repel the supernatural works of darkness. It was the believer's knowledge of and belief in this gospel of peace that would repel the supernatural works of darkness. Remember the sons of Sceva. This will help you if you don't understand what I just said. But the sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19. Let's turn over there real quick in our Bibles. As you're turning there, what I said is it was the believer's knowledge of and belief in this gospel of peace that would repel the supernatural works of darkness. Acts 19, 11 through 16. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, 
and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. That's interesting. <laughs> we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. <laughs> also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. If you're not at peace with Jesus, then you cannot wage war against the forces of darkness. If you are not at peace with God, then you cannot wage war against the forces of darkness. If you have not received and been a partaker of this gospel of peace, then you are powerless. Remember, God has no grandchildren. Only children. He has no grandchildren, only children. Sceva was a Jewish priest. So his sons figured, because my father is a priest, because my father is a priest, <laughs> we must have some kind of authority over the works of darkness. And they learned a very costly and very painful lesson that day. The Bible says that they were stripped and they were wounded. They had no peace with God. They didn't know God. But they were trying to operate based upon the, the, the position that they assumed their father had with God. And the evil spirit stripped them, beat them, and chased them. The gospel of peace, my friends, neutralizes the hostile powers of the enemy over your life. When you have the gospel of peace, it neutralizes the hostile powers of the enemy over your life. The gospel of peace falls into the same semantic field of truth and righteousness that we spoke about already. It's about what you know over what you do. Know first, do second. We spoke about truth and knowing the truth shall set you free. We spoke about Righteousness, knowing that you are righteous. Don't try to walk righteously without first knowing that you are righteous. You first need to know what your name is so that you can respond to it. You must first know that you're righteous and then you can walk righteously. In the same way, you must know the gospel of peace and it's you knowing this and having confidence in this 
that gives you power over the works of the enemy. You see, Ephesians 6.15, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, is really not about evangelism this morning. In the sense of sharing your faith. Even though I really wanted to preach an evangelistic message this morning, I really did. But it's not the context of this verse. The context of this passage is focused on standing over going. It's focused on standing over going. Standing firm, being well grounded before we go. And remember that preparation time is never wasted time. It speaks about the preparation of the gospel. The text is about the continued salvation of those who are already believers. That's what this text is about. And you're to remind yourself each and every single day of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace that you once were afar off, the Bible says, but now have been brought near by his precious blood. Remind yourself of that. And then you are called to, to stand in this, in this confidence that you are at peace with God. That you are at peace with God. That's a, that's a beautiful thing to know. That you are at peace with God. To stand firm is great news. To stand firm with these shoes on is great news. That no one or nothing can snatch you out of his hands. That you are secure in him and secure in that fact. Romans 8, 38 and 39 are true for you who believe this morning. That you would be persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. No relationship with God or peace with God. No relationship with God. Or no peace with God equals no protection in the spiritual battle. If you have no relationship with God, if you have no peace with God, then you have no protection in the spiritual battle. I believe that many of our family members are alive and, and well today by the grace of God. Many of our family members are walking around without protection and without armor. But it's because of your prayers, it's because of your intercession for them that God is holding them and keeping them because they themselves are unprotected. But because of your prayers, God is honoring your prayers. And he's watching over them on your behalf as you're interceding for them because they are without armor. If the enemy had his way, they'll be destroyed by now. But he's been restrained because of the prayers of the saints and the people of God. Lots of people in this world are searching for this thing called peace. And usually they're looking for peace within. 
They're trying to find it within themselves. Maybe you're here this morning and you're searching for peace within, or maybe you're online and you're searching for peace within. The only way to find peace within is to first be at peace with God. The only way to find peace within is to first be at peace with God. Peace with God extends the peace of God, which equals peace within. There is no peace within without first and foremost peace with God. I pray that you understand that this morning. We are in need of this gospel of peace. We are in need. Why are we in need of this gospel of peace? Because you must understand, because we are at enmity, there's, there's enmity between us and God. There is an enmity between you and between God. And Paul began in Ephesians chapter 1 by reminding his readers that many of them came to faith in Jesus through an understanding of the gospel. And he says, this is the gospel that was preached to you, you heard it. And he speaks about we were hostile toward God. We were hostile toward him, either through an an active resistance or passive indifference. But either way, we were hostile toward God. Alienation can only become reconciliation through Jesus. Amen? Alienation can only become reconciliation through Jesus Christ. The gospel of peace. And Jesus is our peace. Can we say that this morning? Jesus is our peace. I once was afar off. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2 and verse 13 tells us, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 and verse 1. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. That's good news. You were dead and he made you alive. You once walked according to the course of this world. Ephesians goes on to say, but he's brought us near. We must understand that the gospel of peace, we must understand this gospel, that we are beneficiaries of this gospel of peace. We must first be beneficiaries before we can proclaim it. We have received this from the Lord and we first have to know who we are in Him, that we're at peace with God and then we can later begin to proclaim it. This armor is about the preparation and not the proclamation. I want to ask you this morning, do you really understand, do you really understand what the gospel is? 
Do you really understand that you were a far off, that you were an enemy of God, and that God has brought you in, and that God has made you to be at peace with Him? Do you understand that this morning that you were dead in your trespasses and sins? Do you understand Romans 3 and verse 23 that says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That you have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Do you understand Romans 6 and verse 23? For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That is your prize. That is your reward. That is what you have earned because of, your, because of your sin. You have earned death. That's your prize. Do you understand that this morning that you are in the process of dying? You are in the process right now of dying. And death will come to you. Guaranteed. Death is a curse to you. For you will pay for your sins. However, someone say, but God. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were sinners, he died for us. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. For with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation and with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. God has made a way for you and that's good news. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15.1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. And in which you stand. You can plant your feet and truly stand in this gospel. The gospel proclaimed to you, you can stand in it, and you can be sure, you can be confident, you can be secure in it. In this gospel that you have received, the gospel of peace. Are you able to stand as we get ready to finish up this morning? Are you able to stand against all of the wows and the schemes of the enemy? Are you able to stand against all that comes against you? Are you able to stand? When the culture and the world tells you that it's acceptable to compromise, are you able to stand? When it's popular to compromise, are you able to stand? When I think of standing, I can't help but think of the, the three Hebrew men in Daniel chapter 3. Abednego, Meshach, and Shadrach. When the entire world was bowing before them, they were the only ones that were standing. They were standing in, in the truth that was revealed to them. They were standing firm. So if you want to know what it looks like to stand firm, read Daniel chapter 3 and learn from these three Old Testament heroes and men of God. They stood firm and they had the same spirit that, that Paul had 
when Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Those three men had that same revelation. They said, I'm going to stand. And whether it costs me my life makes no difference to me, but I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand for what I know is true. Because I know him. How do, you, how do you threaten a man like that? Seriously. How, how do you scare him and cause a man like that to compromise? You can't. How do you, how do you fight a man that believes that God is for him and that God fights with him in the battle? People like that are a nightmare for those that are against them. Let's speak for, for a brief moment about radical Islam. They are some of the, the worst people to go to war against. Do you know why? Because when you go to war, you want to win and you want to come home. When they go to war, they go to die. And they're not interested about coming home. They don't want to come home. For them, death is a reward. How do, you, how do you fight an enemy like that? You're trying to come home. You want to win. They ain't trying to come home. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I think you get the point. You are at peace with God and therefore you have nothing to fear and you should not be afraid of death. Death is a blessing to you. Amen? Death is a blessing. In fact, you should already be dead to self, the Bible says. We're already dead to our desires and our ways. For we've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer us who live but Christ who lives in us, right? And the life that we now live, we live to, to glorify him in the flesh. Have you made your peace with God this morning? Every soldier going into battle understands the importance of making their peace with those at home or making peace with those who they have not made peace with, just in case they don't come back. Have you made your peace with God this morning? Have you made your peace with God this morning? Have you made your peace with him? When Athanasius of Alexandria was told that the whole world was against him because of the biblical truths that he stood for, he replied and said, then I am against the whole world. That was his response. Beautiful. What was it that, that, that caused him to stand firm? The gospel. What was it that caused 500 years ago on October 31st, 1517, what was it that caused a small town monk by the name of Martin Luther to march up to the castle church in Wittenberg and nail the 95 theses to the door? 
thus lighting the flame of the Reformation. What was it that caused him to do such a thing? The gospel. And Martin Luther goes on to say, he says, here I stand, I can do no other. What caused him to do that? The gospel. The gospel. The gospel of peace. I'm getting ready to finish up here in just a moment, but first, first uh, Corinthians 16, 13 and 14. Let me just um, get this out. Interesting here, First Corinthians 16, 13 and 14 says, be watchful. This is in the ESV. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Do you know how politically incorrect that is? He says, stand firm in the faith. He says, act like men. That is politically incorrect today. He says, act like men for, for, for a, um, a father to tell his son today to act like a man, or a man-up son, is politically incorrect because of the culture that we live in. Because of the culture that we live in. Men are to act like men, and women are to act like women. No amens there, huh? <laughs> and one day, one day, there's coming a day where, where I, well, where, well, I'm going to do it anyway, but there's, there's coming a day where, where it will be illegal to, to, to speak against certain things in our society, to speak against homosexuality. It will be illegal, and, and it will be considered a hate crime. And some of you may even come to me and say, Pastor, you have to be careful because they passed this new law. You have to be careful what you say. And by the way, we don't hate anybody. Let's just get that clear, right? We, we don't hate anybody. That's not hate. But we stand in the truth of the gospel. Amen? So what will cause me to stand in that day? What will cause you to stand in that day? The gospel. The gospel. Amen? Today's message was not a call for you to march and storm the gates of hell. Today's message was a call for you to stand. For Christ has already won the victory. He's already done all that. So today is a call for you to stand. To stand. What Adam was given by God, Adam lost and Christ restored. He won it back. And in conclusion, what makes you prepared with the gospel of peace is the fact that you are a recipient of this gospel and the fact that you know it. Because you are a recipient, 
you are only now then able to give an answer for the hope that you have. Because you've received this gospel, now you can give an answer for the hope that you have in the gospel, and only now can you proclaim it. Stand up, please. As you stand up on January 30th, 1973, Patrice Tameo of Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. He allowed himself to be nailed to a cross as a sacrifice for world peace and understanding among men. He said, I'm going to do this act and I'm going to do it for world peace and understanding among men. As thousands watched on television, thousands watched the spectacle, and six-inch stainless steel nails were driven into his hands and feet. And Tomeo had planned to remain on the cross for 48 hours. But 20 hours in, something happened. He got an infection in his foot and he was removed from the cross. The next day, a newspaper newspaper headlined the event and said this, crucifixion for peace, full short. The next day, the headline read, crucifixion for peace, falls short. And if you've never heard of Tameo is for the simple reason that what he did failed. His attempt to bring world peace failed. And all of our attempts to bring peace to ourselves will always fail. Only Jesus Christ can bring peace. Only Jesus Christ can bring peace. Nothing that we can do will bring peace. But he has brought us peace again through his blood. I remember taking prayer requests one time and a young man asked me, he said, could you pray for world peace and that there will be no more wars in the world? And I declined that request. And I explained to him why. I explained to him why. Peace only comes through Christ. And the Bible tells us that there will be wars. So I couldn't pray that there will never be another war again and that everyone's going to be living in harmony and peace because that's impossible for that to happen unless Christ is Lord of everyone's life. So I can't just pray for world peace. Christ is the one who brings peace. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14, Jesus does not only give peace, but he is our peace. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation 
You only find peace in Jesus. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, in 1 Kings chapter 19, we see Elijah and the Lord tells him to go and stand upon the mountain. And he's standing on the mountain and the Bible speaks about how the wind beat into the mountain, beat into the rocks, and there he stood. And the Bible speaks about a great wind and then fire attacked the mountain, but he was still there standing. And then the Bible speaks about the still small voice that came to Elijah in the midst of the turmoil that was around him. The, the peace of God doesn't keep us or take us out of the world. There can be Psalm 91, though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, no evil shall befall you. There's, there's a peace. The peace of God will keep you in the midst of turmoil and chaos. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Lord, that the gospel is not just good for salvation, but it's good for every day after. I pray, Lord, that we would preach the gospel to ourselves daily, that we would remind ourselves of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice and because of his blood that we shed. We thank you, Lord, that you have brought us in by your blood. And Father, I pray that if there is anyone in this room or online today that is not at peace with you, then they are an enemy of yours. But I pray, Lord, that they would humble themselves today and call upon you as they've heard the gospel this morning. May they acknowledge their sin. May they acknowledge, Lord, that you are at enmity with them. But you desire to be at peace with them. Thank you that your blood was shed for all. And I charge every individual today in this room and online, if you have not called upon the Lord, to call upon him today. And the peace that you are looking for, you will find in him. Lord, we love you and we bless you. We thank you so much for your word. Lord, there was so much more, but Lord, I pray that what was spoken, Lord, was, was enough to gain the understanding of your people. I pray that they would be confident and secure and sure that they are no longer enemies of yours, but they are at peace with you and may they stand in this confidence. And because they are at peace with you, no weapon formed against them shall be able to prosper. And Father, they can confidently go into battle knowing that, that you are on their side, that you are with them, so they can boldly put on the armor and stand against the wiles of the evil one. For if God is for us, who can be against us? We love you, Father. We bless you. We give this time into your hands and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen and amen.
We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.